Well, it's Christmas Eve. We made it. It's finally here. I'm sure there's a little bit of anticipation here with this. I know there's, uh, in a sense, almost that we just want to pause, right? Just want to almost just take it in and, uh, and breathe a little bit, right? Certainly there's a, a feeling of, uh, of anticipation, excitement, uh, certainly a, a warm time, a, a joyful time. Uh, but what about peace? Uh, do you have peace in your heart this night? What does it mean for you to have true peace? Well, tonight I want to talk to you about an invasion of peace. We'll be looking at Micah chapter 5, verse 1 through 6 in a moment to explore this. But I want to make just a few introductory comments about Micah. Micah is prophesying in the same time as Isaiah, 700 years before Christ. And his ministry is principally focused on the southern kingdom of Judah. Micah is primarily a book proclaiming judgment and restoration of God's people. But specifically, Micah is warning God's people about the coming judgment and destruction of the Assyrians, which he accurately predicted. But he also looked ahead to the future restoration and blessing, and he included prophecies of their preserving, there be a preserving of a remnant of God's people and the raising up of a ruler, the Messiah himself. And anchoring this prophecy of hope is a staggering prediction. Micah says, and he will be your peace. He will be your peace. But how? When? How is this going to be possible? Well, let's pray and then I'll read the text. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself in your creation, your word, and your son. We ask that you to be present with us and refresh us in your word and in your spirit. Open our ears and prepare our hearts to hear from you this night. Give us understanding. Give us discernment. Sanctify us and guide us into all truth. Your word is truth. In the matchless name of Christ we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of God from Micah chapter 5. Verse 1 through 6, and it is printed in your bulletin. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land, and treads in our palaces. Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. This is the word of God, and we shall receive it as such. Friends, the main point of my message tonight is that Christ was born to die, that we could be reborn to eternal peace. Christ was born to die, that we could be reborn to eternal peace. And I have two supporting points tonight. First, peace with God now. Peace with God now. 
And secondly, peace with the world? Not yet. Peace with the world? Not yet. So the first point, peace with God now. If I were to talk to you at one point and, and have a conversation, perhaps maybe after a service one day, and said, asked you the question, what do you think is our greatest need in life? What would you say? How would you answer that question? Some of you might say, well, certainly food and water and shelter and those types of things. Well, maybe purpose in life, meaning. What about family or security? Certainly being loved, right, by others is important. How phenomenal then, as Christians, our greatest need has been met. No matter when you became a Christian, no matter how old you are, how long you live in this life, when you become a Christian, your greatest need in this life has been met. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is our greatest need as humans. And peace with God is the ultimate outcome of having this greatest need met. It comes with reconciliation with God. So peace is the final result of the advent of Christ. Peace. The greatest gift to receive is the peace of God, as I mentioned earlier with the children. And this peace is not just a feeling, but it's a status, right? It's a position. We are at peace with God. The war is over. This is what Micah is ultimately pointing towards in his prophecy with the announcement of this new hope for Israel. It's not just a new, and it's a new hope for not just Israel, but for the world. And it arrives in the form of a new David, a new ruler from the line of David to be born in David's hometown. And Micah's prophecy arrives at a time of great oppression and despair leading up to the exile. Look back at verse 1 with me. This opening line is very difficult, actually, from a translation standpoint. And scholars actually differ on, on the right wording and the meaning here. But the main point is that Micah is giving us a picture of the hopelessness and despair of the Israelites. It couldn't get much worse. I mean, the Israelites are under siege, and their ruler has been publicly humiliated. That's why this next line, starting in verse 2, would have been a true invasion of peace. It came in the midst of a dreadful state of affairs. Just consider the staggering contrast here. You have Assyria, one of the most powerful and brutal empires of that time, with no hope of stopping it on the horizon. And what is their hope according to Micah? Their hope lies in a baby born in an obscure little town sometime in the future. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's no wonder that the, the, the prophets were treated so poorly to have such a, a prophecy like this. Nonetheless, this news comes as a desperate lifeline of hope in the midst of a very dark time. And so it would be when Micah's prophecy was fulfilled 700 years later. The Prince of Peace arrived in a covert invasion under darkness the cover of darkness, to rescue and ransom captive Israel, to ransom all those who would come to know Christ. Everyone in Christ has been ransomed by his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. O little town of Bethlehem, you know the hymn, the wonderful hymn we like to sing at Christmas time. It paints a dreamy picture of Bethlehem, does it not? If you read over the lyrics, it's really kind of a dreamy hymn, but it wasn't dreamy at all. Bethlehem is, is, uh, is it living in a time, this is at a time of great fear and darkness. King Herod was a madman. You remember the stories about him? And everyone was troubled when he became angry. He, this is the king who killed members of his family for fear of losing his, uh, his kingship. The prediction that this ruler would come from Bethlehem, of all places, 
would have been a surprise here in verse 2. In fact, there's a lot packed into this phrase, Bethlehem Ephrathah, for it literally means house of bread, fruitful. House of bread, fruitful. This little town would not only bring forth the fruit of God's promised Messiah, but as the bread of life, Christ would become the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. The first fruits of the resurrection harvest. So this little town of Bethlehem is perfectly fitting. For God uses the small and the weak of the world to accomplish his mighty purpose, does he not? We see this throughout scripture time and time again. God loves to use the small and the weak to accomplish his purposes. So Micah says this ruler will be our peace. Why does he say this? Why does he say that he will be our peace? Because we are in rebellion against God. And Matt talked about that this morning. So peace must be made between us and God, right? So Christ is our peace. He's the one that makes peace and reconciliation with God possible. And it's God himself who exposes this rebellion in the garden. Think back to Genesis 3.15. Why else would he say he's going to put enmity between the serpent and the woman and between their offspring? This is a staggering thing. You've never thought, thought about this. An alliance had been made between man and the evil one, the serpent. We are a brood of vipers. You ever get kind of excited or, or kind of proud when you read that phrase in the Gospels? Uh, when, when the scribes or Pharisees, those who are opposed to Christ, get called a, a brood of vipers? I can tell you I've several times reading over that over the years, just, yeah, you know, I love that when he used brood of vipers. Well, how sobering to realize, friends, that this is who we are. When we come out of the womb with our brothers and sisters, we are a rebellious brood of vipers. How's that for a jolly Christmas greeting? Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers. <laughs> but this is what makes Micah's announcement so amazing and really should take our breath away. We are the ones in rebellion, and yet God is the one who brings peace in the form of a lowly infant born in an obscure little town. This infant was not just lowly, though. He was holy. He was set apart as God's anointed one to bring peace between God's people and their creator. So Micah helps us see that this as ruler over God's covenant people his coming would be the basis of their return from exile. It would mean an end to their alienation from God, and he would provide security and peace, eternal peace. Peace between God and man. This is the focal point of Christ's mission in the incarnation. He was born to die that we might experience a rebirth and have peace. Now note the metaphor in, uh, of labor in verse 3 here. A delay should be anticipated as the one in labor must give birth first. This is a symbol of the distress of their current siege. So the distress must first end. Then the promised deliverer from Bethlehem will come and establish a kingdom of peace. The Israelites would have to wait 700 more years. 700 more years. But we don't have to wait. Our peace has come. Do you have peace with God this night? Three out of the four songs that we've been preaching through on Sunday mornings talk about this peace. Zechariah says, The Messiah comes to guide our feet into the way of peace. The host of angels gave glory to God and announced peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased, which we heard about this morning. And then Simeon praised God, saying that he was letting his servant depart in peace, having finally caught a glimpse of seeing the long-awaited Messiah. In each of these examples, and with Micah's prophecies of salvation, the original hearers 
would be reminded that their restoration would depend on the Lord's merciful forgiveness and his sovereign initiative, not the work of their hands, nothing of their own. Salvation is entirely of the Lord. Peace with God is entirely of the Lord. And he will be their peace. There is no peace apart from our union with the Prince of Peace. None. There's also no peace with one another apart from our union with Christ. All of us sit here together as one body, part of the family of God, and yet we're so different. We're diverse in many ways, are we not? Well, how's this possible? True peace is only possible and only achieved by the Messiah who overcomes conflict. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2, which we've talked about a number of times lately. How else could we have such peace and harmony? Well, it is Christ. He is our peace. Several years ago, I was struck by a message that I received from a, a former classmate of mine uh, over Facebook. I was literally boiled over. She was bringing to my attention uh, that I had treated her pretty poorly uh, in, in school. And uh, immediately the Holy Spirit convicted me, and, and I was like, wow, yeah, she's right, I did. And I, was, I felt terrible. And I started apologizing all over the, all over the place and just, you know, that, that's not who I am anymore. Uh, believe me, I'm not that way anymore. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I treated you that way. And I asked her for forgiveness. I said, would you please forgive me? You know, and she wasn't quick to do so. She said, well, I need to think about it. I need to pray about it. This, this is pretty hurtful. I'm like, sure, please do. Well, she finally did. She did forgive me. And it was the most amazing gift she could have given me. It was amazing. This, this feeling of peace that, that I had when she said, yes, I forgive you. And she felt it too. It was an amazing experience. She, this, this reconciliation that we had. And what's amazing about what the Lord did is that it was a domino I actually, the Holy Spirit convicted me about several other people that I needed to get in touch with and say, hey, I, I need to ask forgiveness. I, I didn't treat you very well, you know, growing up. And I did. And I had several other experiences of, of reconciliation. And it was amazing. It was amazing. It was an amazing gift of peace shared by both parties. Who do you need to be reconciled with tonight? Who do you need to ask forgiveness of Or who can you bestow the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation? There is no greater gift to give and to receive. The peace of God is the greatest gift that we can receive and to extend to others. Have you received and opened this very gift of peace from our loving Heavenly Father? Are you resting in the peace of Christ this night? Have you embraced this long-awaited shepherd king who Micah says will provide full protection and security for his flock? Or are you still trying to earn acceptance from God to prove your worth, to earn your salvation? This peace from God through Christ is here and available to us now. There is no more waiting. As believers living after the resurrection, we have the benefit of seeing prophecies like Micah come to petition. We, we can say, yes, that's been fulfilled. We see that Jesus has, in fact, become our peace. And yet, not all of what Micah has said here and prophesied has come true yet. Which leads me to my second point. Peace with the world, not yet. Peace with the world, not yet. Now, as believers, we live in the constant spiritual tension of the already and the not yet. You hear about it all the time. We talk about this, already and not yet. Well, the same holds true with when it comes to peace. We can and have, God, have peace with God now. We do have peace with God now as Christians. But what about peace with the world? Well, that is something that remains in the not yet category. And Matt talked about that this morning as well. 
Well, this is obvious and really goes without saying. But Christians are not at peace with the world. In fact, we are exiles, just like the brothers who have been dispersed in verse 3. But victory is part of Micah's prophecy here. Look back at verse 5 and 6 again. Look at this. This is where it gets interesting for us, friends. Now, it's best to understand here when it talks about Assyria. This is really a figure of speech for all the world powers that oppress Israel, both present and future. And notice that it's a foregone conclusion with Micah. He says, when, not if, but when. The war against us is not a surprise. Okay, this helps us understand this passage is a prophecy of Israel's ultimate victory over her foes. Now, the seven shepherds and the eight leaders mentioned here are to be understood as an indefinite but substantial number of leaders. This is what I think is really interesting. With seven being the number of perfection in the Bible, Micah is pointing us to the fact that there will be more than sufficient supply of leaders to expand God's kingdom, both then and now. This is an incredible word of confidence about the advance of God's kingdom in the face of its enemies, then and now. Now, this is particularly relevant today as we witness wars and hostilities around the world raging. It's hard not to see these enemies of God as unstoppable and entirely fearsome. Just think about the growing threat of Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, countries of immense military resources and might, of vast populations, and all very hostile to God and to Christians everywhere. But we learn from this passage even in the face of a Christian church in this country, smaller and weaker than ever before, that we will have sufficient supply of leaders to expand God's kingdom through his church. Praise be to Christ. And how could this be? Well, look back at verse 4. This ruler to come, this deliverer of God's people, will embody the strength and might of God. Under his authority, they will have eternal security, eternal peace. And the authority of this shepherd king will be universal in scope, because his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. This is why Isaiah calls him the prince of peace. Zechariah 9.10 says, And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. Our victory is assured. It is guaranteed. We cannot lose. We will not lose. We will have peace in the world, but not yet. Not yet. But it's coming. It's coming. Let me close with some application. We need to hold fast to the promises of God. Let us this Christmas Eve hold fast and ponder afresh the mystery of the incarnation. Let us rest in the reality that Christ was born to die, that we could be reborn to eternal peace. How can we rest in this glorious reality? Well, I think for both believers and those who don't yet know this Prince of Peace, I believe it's by reflecting upon and being amazed anew at just who this Jesus is and everything that he is to us. For he is almighty God, creator, sustainer, protector. He's the ancient of days, the foundation of all things, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the holy one of Israel. He's a consuming fire. He's the great I am, the arm of the Lord. He's the Lord of hosts, the captain of angel armies. He's the rock eternal. He's our refuge. He's our redeemer. He's our stronghold in the day of trouble. He's the image of the invisible God, 
He's the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn of the dead. He's the son of God, the son of man. He's the second Adam, the last Adam. He's the seed that crushed the serpent's head. He's the Messiah. He's the word made flesh. He's the suffering servant. He's a man of sorrows. He's the true vine, the lamb of God, the lion of Judah. He's the Lord of life. He is the light of the world. He's the bright morning star. He's the just and the justifier. He is the good shepherd. He's the door of the sheep. He is wonderful. He is counselor. He is head of the body, the church. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread of life. He is the beloved. He is the bishop of our souls. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the fountain of living waters. He is God's mystery in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the king of glory. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. He is Emmanuel. He is our savior. He is lord of peace. He is prince of peace. He is our peace. An eternal gift of peace that will last forever and ever. Let us pray.